Hello, and welcome to Dodecahedron, a podcast by, for, and about roleplayers. I'm Jess. Every week I bring on a guest to talk about a range of gaming-related topics from creating a character to running a game, and what it all means for people who share my favorite hobby. I may not be an expert, but I do have a pleasant voice and a wealth of gaming experience that I'm eager to share with you. My topic today is story games, and I have here my dear friend Ryan. So Ryan, before we jump into this storied topic, why don't you tell the people a little bit about yourself? Uh, hi, I'm Ryan. I've been uh, playing and running games for probably about 18 years now, I think it is. Started in 2001 with the third edition of everyone's favorite or the world's most popular role-playing game. I think that's a pretty good way to put it. Um, and I've been doing it ever since, writing content, uh, running games. I'm, for a long time, was the forever DM or GM. Uh, yep. Thankfully met and made a lot of friends uh, in the past few years who uh, allowed me to open up my uh, my engagement with the hobby a little bit more. Which is always a nice, pleasant change, because I think a lot of the people that I have on this show, and probably a lot of the people who listen, are used to that experience of like, I care about this thing more than most of the people that I play with, thus I'm always the one making and running the games. Mm -hmm, absolutely. I mean, there's always going to be a segment of the hobby, people participating in it, who just want to come and enjoy themselves, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Oh, sure. But it does mean that the uh, the ratio can sometimes be something we have to negotiate uh, yeah. amongst ourselves. But that's something that a lot of these story games that we're going to talk about do a really good job with. Like, some of the ones that you and I have played together, and full disclosure, Ryan is the person who runs one of my Monday night games, if you've been listening for a long time, you heard him and his partner, Caitlin, talk with me about romance a long time ago. Uh, where was I going with that sentence? Right. We play together every week, is yes. more or less, either as two characters on the same side of the table, or I'm DMing for you. But with a lot of the games that we've been trying out on our off nights when we are playing, but not playing one of those... We've been doing a lot of, like, GM-less games. Story games in general, which can be GM-less or have a more traditional GM. Um, and it's a direction that I find myself moving in these days in terms of what I'm actually interested in, what's what I'm getting the most out of in tabletop role-playing. Um, so for those of you at home who might not know, a story game is just a term we're using to sort of broadly categorize a certain sort of subgenre of tabletop game. Um, much like Dungeons and Dragons or Savage Worlds or Shadowrun, you're still sitting around a table, you're still playing characters and telling a story and rolling dice to moderate the story. Mm -hmm. um, Vincent Baker in the introduction to Apocalypse World, which is one of our basically one of the progenitors of a lot of the games we're going to talk about today, right. uh, says that that's all role-playing is. It's a conversation about stuff that isn't real. And every once in a while, no one can figure out what should happen next. So we roll dice. Yeah. So a story game um, is like a really broad statement, a really broad term. Um, and what it basically means is that we're looking at games that are less about rolling dice to decide 
what happens in the context of what your character does. And they're more about rolling dice or using some other method to sort of navigate the narrative space of the game. Right. So instead of I roll the dice to see how hard I hit the monster, you can run into situations where it's like, now we roll the dice because something has happened and the mood is going to change depending on how the dice fall. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, you have games um, like uh, Epidiah Ravicals, uh, Swords Without Master, which we've played a couple of times now. Uh, and that's one where there isn't even a success or failure. You don't really roll the dice to see if you do a thing or don't do a thing. The only thing the dice change is the tone. And you're obligated, as someone participating in this story creation, uh, to, to hit that tone and make the decisions that you make about your character. Now, in systems like that, you're putting a lot of onus on the players to say... Not necessarily like, this is how you play now, but this is the kind of story that we're telling. Mm -hmm. Which, one of the things that we've talked about on this show several times is the idea of buy-in. Right. Something like that requires an immense buy-in from everybody at the table, because if you've got somebody who comes along and says, Yeah, I know, I know the dice just fell this way, and now we're supposed to be, like, dour or whatever, but... I was in a real good groove, and I want to keep being the heroic badass. <laughs> so one of my questions would be, if you're at the table and somebody is just not going with the story, what do you do? That is the type of situation, if someone is not going along with it, that you have to either... Uh, have the social contract in the beginning that says we're going to rely on the mechanics to sort of direct us. Mm -hmm. Or um, I feel like that's the kind of thing that needs to, uh, you need to establish that beforehand. I mean, that's what you talked about buy-in uh, leading into this segment. Um, and part of that is going to involve uh, a commitment from everyone to primarily focus on this idea that we're making something bigger than us, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the biggest distinctions in story games is that they sort of suppose this dedication uh, as you're playing to the idea that the complete story, the story that the whole table is told together, is sort of more important than uh, what kinds of successes or failures a given character might experience yeah uh, and um and i think the way uh the way to deal with that is usually just setting expectations in circumstances where someone's going way off you know i think that's when you just gotta pause things and be willing to you know use our safety tools that you talked about last week which was a very good episode if you haven't listened to it. Go back and listen. L is one of my heroes, and they are amazing. Uh, and uh, and negotiating that perhaps with some distance from what was actually happening in the story. Which can be difficult to do. And every time we come up onto the, one of these problems, I'm always like, man, I wish there was a good way to do it without breaking the flow of the game. But sure. so often, there's just not. Like, if you have somebody who is going against the tide, the only way to right the ship is basically to stop it. Right. But luckily, 
a lot of these games that we play, a lot of these story games, are pretty easy to go along with. Mm-hmm. In a lot of cases, they're structured to be that way. I mean, um, again, going back to uh, Powered by the Apocalypse games, Apocalypse mm-hmm. World and its derivatives, moves are prescriptive. They're a series of instructions, effectively. I mean, they're, they're, they can be broadly interpreted, but uh, when a thing happens, the move is supposed to happen. Obviously, right. we're going we're gonna to have room for human error in terms of actually remembering all the moves. But in theory, if you do a thing and that thing is described as one of the triggering events of a move, then you are more or less obligated to follow it. Similarly, in the rogues phase of Swords Without Master, you literally can't do anything without being invited to do it by another player. Right. Like, well, in that one, you have this whole basically pre-described doctrine of if you are the person whose turn it is to speak, you you, you kind of dictate everything that goes on for you and the non-players. And that's one that's really aggressively a story game. Yes. Like, it's super removed from the traditions of, yeah. of reactive D&D play because... You're almost GMing every time you pick up the dice. That one, I think, that almost works better in like a sitting around a campfire setting really than sitting does. around your normal game table. That it, it, it almost is that that way. I mean, you can do it either way uh, for sure, and there is still going to be some some actions being taken by the overplayer, which is their term for the GM, right? To frame things and to maybe uh, gently nudge people's decisions about their character. Um, which I think is true for any story game. Absolutely. Uh, well, in going back for a moment to Powered by the Apocalypse, because I know we have some listeners who have not played games in that family. Mm. Uh, although, if you listen to this show and also listen to the McElroys, uh, The Adventure Zone, their season two right now is being played in a game called Monster of the Week, which is sort of a looser Powered by the Apocalypse game, but it still uses the move system. Mm-hmm. Um, but real quick, tell us like the kinds of things that you might have prescribed by that. So um, it's essentially a set of instructions. You can think of it almost as like a simple like if-then gate, like encoding. Uh, I don't know if that's too dorky for this podcast. It, Dude, we said in the T&T podcast. Seriously. <laughs> Uh, so we go, so you just, it's really simple. You, 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 it's, uh, a contextual event that happens in the fiction. So, right. So we talk about, uh, powered by the apocalypse being fiction first. So you Mm -hmm. look at what you're doing. You say, I'm going to go stab the monster in the face with my sword. And we look and we have this sheet that has basic moves. And it says on one of them under move titled, aptly titled hack and slash. Uh, when you battle a monster in melee or uh, something like that. I can't remember the exact phrasing. I don't have it in front of me, but it's essentially when you attack an enemy in melee. Mm-hmm. Roll plus strength, right? Then it has a list of outcomes based on whether or not you hit, uh, oh, and you're rolling two six-sided dice, whether or not you hit at a six or less, uh, seven to nine, or a ten and higher. And all of the moves have different outcomes for those those results right but in general getting a higher number is better you get a 10 or more you get everything you want and so on yeah and part of the difference between story games and something more i'm gonna say simulationist although that's not exactly the right word 
uh, like Pathfinder or D and D is if you're playing Pathfinder, you've got to like beat their armor class, and if you do, you mm-hmm. do the damage. Yep. In something like Dungeon World, you either have a fail state, which is the DM dis- or not DM, whatever they call it. Sure. The GM decides what happens, which is a six or below, or you have a success, which is seven or higher. Seven to nine, you've got a mixed success, which is you know sometimes it's pick one or two things off of this list. Uh, and then a 10 is like, pick three things. Or sometimes it's, you succeed, but... Yeah. And the, that's the most interesting one. That's the that's how I always describe it. It's it's a, it's success with conditions. It's, you succeed, but... Um, offering players a dilemma in that is one yeah. of my favorite things. Like You can stab the ogre, but you're going to lose your knife. You can stab the ogre, but you're going to fall off a cliff. And you can... You can modulate that based on how much of a dick you want to be. Oh, exactly. Well, and a lot of the times it's something like you stab the ogre in the face, but you are also going to take damage Mm -hmm. ambiguously. Right. Like the game will never, because it can't. Right. It's not a computer system that you're plugging things into. It's a set of very loose if-then statements. Sure, exactly. The lovely thing about the move system in Apocalypse World-based games is that they very, um, they tell you what the game cares about. Mm-hmm. Because it's important, uh, the important thing that you're supposed to do with these games is the idea that you're always supposed to have moves trigger. You don't choose to have moves trigger. You just portray your character. You just do your thing. When it happens, it happens. Just tell your story. But at the same time, if you're doing something and there's no move for it, we don't bring the dice out. Yeah, there's no need to at that point. Because yep. whatever is happening is something that the game has decided, or, you know, the people who wrote the game have decided that if you're in this particular situation, like, hey, man, we've got we to gotta stop the ice cream truck so we can get the magical ice cream cone out of it. And it's like, all right, I wave it down. I don't need dice to wave down an ice cream sure. truck. Adam Coble says one of his favorite, who's one of the writers, Adam Coble and Sage Latora wrote Dungeon World. Um, he says one of his favorite ways to distinguish between Dungeon World and Pathfinder is that when you look at the Pathfinder rules and you say you look up invisibility, it has a whole list of things that you have to think about that add to dice and subtract from dice, but mm-hmm. maybe they don't subtract from dice, except in this situation, then you're going to add that, and oh man, you get advantage on this, and uh, Dungeon World says, you turn invisible. You're invisible. No one can see you. End I, of rule. <laughs> I think one of the really big advantages that a lot of story games have, especially for players who are new to these systems or maybe getting a little bit bored with the really numbers crunchy Mm -hmm. like systems that we get used to is that lightness of rules sure because it's not a lack there are definitely rules there that you should abide by Mm -hmm. but none of them are really coming on to you and saying like hey you are about to roll six different dice and add them, and they will modify each other because <laughs> there are several different aspects that need to be taken into account. <laughs> like, the first game that I actually played was World of Darkness. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking old World of Darkness with, mm-hmm. like, 
exploding dice and all of that funness. Ones removing from your hits. Yeah. Yeah. So like a one would remove a success, but a 10 would be two or it would add another dice roll depending on who your storyteller was. And it was just like, (laughs) at the end of the day, I would go to Gen Con because, you know, lived in Indiana and Gen Con Indy was there every year. And I would just stop at the dice booth and I would pick out, like, a hundred D10s. Because <laughs> if I was going to run a game, I needed about a hundred D10s because I was going to hand every player, like, ten or more. Just so you didn't have to have a pool that everybody kept picking out from. Right. And that got ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But now I get into these games where it's like, yeah, all you need is a Jenga tower. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. And it makes it... It makes interpreting things easier, you know, because the the smaller the numbers are, especially in anything that's going to ask for like a GM take yeah. on something. When you go, what's the, what is the, what is the, 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 the like actionable difference between you succeeded by 17 and that guy <laughs> succeeded by 23? Yeah. It's like that joke we make about the hit points, you know, like your character doesn't know you have hit points. All right. On a scale of one to 72, how hurt do I look? (laughs) About a 54 out of 72. It's the best. (laughs) Oh, which like that stuff is good for those moments of weird crunchiness. And don't get me wrong. As a concept, I like HP, Mm -hmm. but it makes a lot more sense to have something where it's like, yeah, I, I can take like. For harm. Right. What harm means is totally ambiguous. Right. But if the dice come down and say, oh, hey, you took two harm out of my four, I know, oh, I'm messed up. Yeah. Those games also tend to divide harm from the actual, like, in-universe thing. Yeah. So, like, you might take, in Apocalypse World, you might take two harm because your arm got chopped off. (laughs) You might go to the hospital or to the doctor, the medic and get that harm healed up. So mechanically you can take the full four harm in your wheel. Again, Mm -hmm. you still don't have an arm. They can't grow the arm back. They just stitched it up and it healed. So you still have to think like, Oh, you had a rifle before. A riffle. A riffle. Yes. (laughs) That was inside joke. Don't worry about that one. uh, Uh, a riffle. Uh, just broke me um but you can't really shoot your riffle anymore yeah i think that is one of the one of the reasons why i'm drawn to story games at this point Mm -hmm. is because of that idea of like yeah the mechanics are there to help you along but what matters more is what actually happened at the table the things that were said the way you said them the way things shook out Mm mm-hmm Uh, And I think Swords Without Master is a really fascinating example of how that can be boiled down to its purest qualities. Mm -hmm. Because literally, like, as we said before, the only thing the dice are there for is to tell you, I mean, kind of whose turn it is, Mm -hmm. if you're going to look at it that way. But mostly the tone of the story. Right. There is just something so... I can't think of a better word than pure about just sitting around with your friends and saying like, all right, 
this is the way that this shakes out. Mm -hmm. This is the way it goes. And now I'm going to hand you the dice and you pick up the next part. Yeah. Um, I don't remember all the details from it, but the writer of Swords Without Master has had a, had a thread I read the other day on Twitter that was essentially like, you can boil every character down to the questions they're allowed to ask, which I think is fascinating. And he was going off of the premise of, uh, like, a, like a discern realities yeah. in Dungeon World, right? So it gives you a list of, you roll, and depending on how well you do, you get a list of questions, right? So there's a list of questions, and it was one of those things where it's like, can we further subdivide those questions based on what your character would be interested in? And you can literally yeah. more or less define a character in a way, and, and then this is like this like core theory going into the way you can almost design or um, think about narrative gameplay is what else... When you, when you think about what distinguishes a character from another in the space, in this actual fictional world that we are envisioning, mm -hmm. right, collectively by means of our words, um, it's amazing the kinds of things you can do when you're able to sort of take uh, your creation, your, your, your active creation by playing. Right. And think about it on this meta level of yourself as a player, as well as this character on a lower level, and <clears throat> sort of process the decisions you're making about that character from a, a more like fundamentally creative point of view. Well, and I think that's something that a lot of the more mechanically complex games tend to not lack but gloss over because it's so easy to subdivide your characters among your players by saying like all right you're playing the cleric and i'm playing mm -hmm. the paladin so we have a little bit of overlap in why we do what we do and how we do it but like the nitty-gritty of what we actually do is where our differences lie yeah but with something that's more story-based and something that's less focused on how are we different mechanically and more about like how do our differences inform our characters and like the character informs the mechanics not the other way around mm -hmm. that becomes a point of real interest for me sure well i mean your stats and swords are literally just a list of things yeah like it's just a list of names which is you know fascinating in its own right for sure it's it's definitely a bare bones system that has almost infinite potential yeah for sure uh and it's definitely not the last time we're going to be talking about that or any of epidiah's games on this show because holy shit that dude makes some really interesting stuff yep well and i and i i, I got his one of the newer ones too so we gotta play that one yeah because we want to be wolves want to be wolves jess there was another one that he just pointed out to me where it's like yeah all right you're eulogizing one of your fallen adventuring comrades. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, hey, <laughs> I'm definitely going to be using this at some point soon. <laughs> For sure. But, you know, that else, okay. That leads me into something that I want to talk with you specifically about. Not on this episode, because okay. it would be its own whole thing. <laughs> but I'm going to put out this teaser. I want to talk about combining systems at some point. Okay. 
We can talk about that. Yeah, but not today. No. Not today. Not today. Today, we've been talking about story games, and we've already name-dropped a bunch of specific games, Mm -hmm. but I want to kind of fast-forward into Section 2 of the show, because if you've been listening, you know, I... I'm considering this now season two, and in season two, we spend the first part of the show talking about the idea of the topic in general, and the second part talking a little bit more specifically about what does a game built around this idea look like. And part of that is what we've been doing, talking about very specific examples, you know, Powered by the Apocalypse, Swords Without Master, Dread, which is what I was talking about with the Jenga Tower thing, but... There is something that is almost even more of a pure, uncut version of what we're talking about. The text-based role-playing experience. (laughs) I guess that's true, to an extent. In the sense that there is very rarely any sort of system when you're going into something like based around a Discord server or a forum RP, something like that, you have pretty much just the social contract that says, hey, no god modding, and go. (laughs) That's actually, for a second, I thought you were talking about, like, Zorp. What what is it? Oh, Like, text-based adventure games? No. I was like, what is he getting at here? (laughs) I've never actually uh, played one of those. That's fine. Don't, don't. I'm, I'm not that old. You're good. You don't have to. Um... Yes, actually, it's funny, uh, that's actually more or less uh, where I got my start playing role-playing games. Same. Before I ever owned a die, uh, I played on forums um, badly, because I was 12. Yep. And probably shouldn't have been there. Were you uh, uh, Were you a Neopets or a Gaia Online, or did you find a different one? I had a couple. So the one that I actually spent the most time on were the fan forums for a webcomic called RPG World. Ah! So RPG World um, had a uh, was a webcomic that was popular in the early aughts, mostly. That was just a parody of Japanese rpg video games for the most part that was what the plot was it was just it was order of the stick set in jrpgs so this is 2000 ish 99 2000 and all websites web comics included would always have the community forum attached to it you didn't go to the subreddit you didn't ping the creator on twitter you just had its own forum yep and that was a wild time right the wild and woolly days of sneaking onto the internet in the HP Windows 98 HP Compact or whatever it was that my parents had in the kitchen. Yeah, walking up the stairs to my dad's <clears throat> home office at like 11.30 at night after I knew he'd gone to bed to log on and check out... God, what was it called? That fucking webcomic. So weeaboo. I'll uh. think of it. With the hacker character and the guy who got the, like, anime cat girl girlfriend. Never mind. We'll come back to Wait, that. Wait, Sluggy Freelance? No. Uh, no. Tokyo... Tokyo Mute... No. What is Fuck. it? 
I know what you're talking about now. Yeah, it's getting you too. Uh, No, it's got me too. All right, we'll figure that out later. Um, Yeah, so I went on those forums and I would, you know, and people ran role plays. It was, you know, and like, it it wasn't anything. It was just like, we're going to tell a story. What's this story? Like, oh, it's going to be in a fantasy world and da-da-da-da-da. And then everyone would do character write-ups and everyone was like super intense about your character write-up. Like you had to have. Oh, yeah backstory and a detailed description and you had to list all their powers and people listed it was funny everything was super weeby so it was like everybody had the anime face claims yeah super anime face claims and then like you know everyone would list their like signature attacks it would be like like every every character would be like (laughs) oh like flaming sword dance like Blah, blah, blah will move around rapidly and ignite in flames from the energy. And thus if it evading. wasn't like a straight Dragon Ball or Bleach ripoff, it yeah. was hell Harry Potter or yeah. like goth stuff. Yeah, so that was that was middle school into high school. And then uh, in college, myself and my partner, uh, Caitlin, also played on a lot of Marvel boards. Mm-hmm. We actually ran one briefly. Um Based off of the Marvel comic, uh, The Exiles, it was an alternate timeline thing. Because, of course, it is. Because otherwise, we can't play our characters in the right romance with each other. Oh, of course. <laughs> Mega Tokyo. Mega Tokyo. Thank you, God. Ugh. 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 But the reason that I brought that up in the first place was that as much as we look back on the way that we used to do that sort of nonsense it still absolutely has its place. And Mm -hmm. I think the advent of stuff like Discord, where you and I can make a server for, like, us and our four players Mm -hmm. and have the different rooms that represent the different locations. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, we're just going to get on and play a game. We don't have to be in the same place. We don't have to be in the same time zone. No. We can literally just hop on and say, like, all right, I want to play this game with you. Mm -hmm. We don't need rules. If we want to roll dice, there are dice rolling robots that we can just give a little command to. Mm -hmm. And it becomes this expression of pure storytelling where all that matters is I say thing, you respond to thing, you say thing, I respond to thing. Mm -hmm. And while we have systems that, you know, I'm I'm never going to say the text-based web stuff is in any way better than sitting down at a table with my pals because the social aspect of gaming and actually being able to be in the same place is incredibly important to me as a not super social person. But not having to wait. Mm -hmm. And not having to be like, "Ah, I can only play my game one day a week or like... (laughs) For some people, one day a month. Yeah. It's nice to have that other outlet. Yeah, for sure. I think that, I mean, I spent a lot of time playing rules-less role-playing games. Um, We've talked about the LARPs and stuff that Mm -hmm. Caitlin and I wrote and ran, as well as the ones we played in, which are almost in a similar space. You don't have the physical interaction, but you do have that kind of mutual rules-lessness. You know, that's just like... We all have an understanding um, of what's going on here and who is who. So we're just going to play this out. 
realizing that LARP is such a blind spot for me. It it's there is positives and negatives to going the the I will say this. I mean walk that back for a second. There is the the lighter the rules, the more you have to trust everyone. Yeah. And not just in the sense of trusting them like as people. Like of course, I don't game with people who you don't want in like your physical environment. Yeah, that's... Set boundaries and stuff, guys. I know people who will endure terrible situations for years just to get a game in. Don't do that to yourself. It's Um, not worth it. There are so many of us now. Yeah. But but also in the sense of going all the way back to the beginning of this episode when you talked about buy-in and tone. We're really going to close the loop here because if you completely eliminate mechanics... You absolutely have to be able to sit there and go, nope, wait, pause, stop. Does that fit this? Because if there's no rules, there's nothing stopping me, going back to my why I got banned from those forums days. <laughs> oh, this should be good. Of saying, um, my character has like whatever bullshit ultra instinct thing I made up and no one can defeat it. So I kill you all. I will say that's it. Oh man. That's the God modding you brought up when we first broached that topic. But I've seen grown ass men get into like a pissing match. They were also drunk over decisions made in a rulesless LARP. Because they didn't agree with the fictional positioning, with the contexts, with what the GM ruled. And they weren't fighting with the GM. They were mad at each other. Oh, of course. The GM had already made their decision and was just like, yep, that's what happens. And I think that's the kind of thing that having good narrative forward mechanics Mm -hmm. can help us sort of mediate without the need to make it personal. That is where rules are incredibly valuable, even in story game situations. Mm -hmm. Because if you are in a position where you can't trust everybody to be on the same page, (laughs) which is not the same as not trusting the people that you're playing with, which I want to clarify. That's true. That's actually a really good point, because I should have phrased that differently. Well, no, and like you were absolutely correct in that you need to be able to trust everybody in the game. But if somebody's coming in and saying like, but wait, I I have this character who is canonically this thing. Mm-hmm. And in this situation right now, I'm being told that I can't do the thing that my character should be able to do. Like, that's a shitty situation. Yeah, for sure. So everybody involved there needs to make sure, like, okay, I know Sir Big Dick's a lot. <laughs> has the power to seduce anyone that he wants to. However, you're in a situation right now where that's definitely off the table because this is a LARP, and the person you're talking to is definitely uncomfortable. Can you chill on Sir Dixalot Seduction's power? That's a yikes right there. It was the first thing that came to mind, and I realized as soon as I started talking, (laughs) like, I should have picked something different. I mean, just so you know, if you ever go to a con... And you go to a LARP. You're going to meet that guy. You're going to meet that guy. And a good way to tell whether or not the organizer of the event is a good organizer or not is how quickly they have kicked him out. Yeah. <clears throat> that, that being said, said. 
a lot of vampire LARPs have that guy in spades. Oh, well, yeah, that's that's opening up a whole... I have never played in a vampire LARP. I have played vampire. Yeah, the only LARP that I've ever actually done was a vampire LARP. And I don't want to say that it was basically just an excuse for 30-something-year-old con-goers to hook up with each other, but I was 17 and I felt the most out of place because that's pretty much what was happening. Yeah, in a lot of cases, they have a reputation for it. I will say I know some people who participate in vampire LARPs and do a good job of it. They do exist. Um, Because it's a fascinating system and setting. The, yeah. And and a lot of, um, a lot of, there's a lot of cultural elements that play into the problems there that I don't, I'm not familiar with or qualified to comment on. Yeah, I I wasn't into Twilight when I was a kid, so Mm -hmm. I, I don't really know where all of that comes from. Right. Um, you know, I could have also said Anne Rice, but... Yeah, most of it's pretty Anne rice I think. That said, I did read a lot of Laurel K. Hamilton in high school, so I kind of get that aspect of it. Mm, fair. I ran, or I was a storyteller on a um, changeling uh, chat room for about a year. Yeah, and for anyone who's not making the connection there, uh, these are all White Wolf, World of Darkness mm-hmm. settings. Yeah. This was Changeling the Lost, and man, that, I, I, I wasn't, I ended up leaving because I wasn't comfortable with the kind of level of, like, administrative work that it was requiring, Mm -hmm. because Changeling, uh, has not as bad of a cultural connotation as Vampire, but fairies, they have a whole lot of, especially Changeling the Lost, which is the system we were using, which yeah. is like fundamentally a game about abuse victims, um, yeah. had a whole lot of, oh man, this being open to the public and having like 30 characters in it is a really bad idea because there's a ton of people with really low emotional intelligence playing right alongside people who are like trying to good faith explore some serious storytelling and I'm really getting sick of banning the people who keep trying to make underage-looking characters. Yee! Despite being hundreds of years old or whatever the hell they're supposed to be. Yeah. And, you know, fairy stuff. So it's a lot of mind control. It's a lot of gayasing. It's a lot of that. And it was just bad. And eventually, I was just like, I literally, I felt, I felt really bad because I alienated someone who I kind of liked... Uh, because I got so bent out of shape about it and fed up that I literally ghosted the whole site and just stopped logging on. That's one of the things that we need to be careful about with story games, though, Mm -hmm. because, like, one of the other aspects to the double-edged sword that is, all right, we don't have a lot of mechanics holding us back, is the types of stories that you can tell become infinite. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's a lot of the reason why, and you already did the episode on safety tools, so I won't go into it very mm-hmm. long, but story games, the story game community, the the people online uh, and uh, offline who are kind of m- focusing more on that type of gameplay are not entirely, but heavily the people who started really bringing safety tools into games. With very good reason. With good reason, because um, in LARPs especially, we talk about the concept of bleed. Yeah. 
bleed uh, is um, something that happens uh, when you're essentially you're experiencing an emotion. To, to put it as simply as possible, when you experience an emotion in uh, the fictional world, right? So, say your character is traumatized. So your character finds out something bad. You something bad happens to you in game, mm-hmm. right? Which I mean, it's you know, there's conflict in stories. You get you get hurt uh, physically or emotionally. That happened to your character. It didn't happen to you. Yeah. But because we're investing emotionally into this performative narrative acts, those of us who get involved in these things uh, can sometimes experience that ex- that those emotions that the character is experiencing mm-hmm. can bleed, where the term comes from, over into where we are at in our real lives. So Yeah, and I think anyone who gets emotionally invested to a certain level is going to experience that no matter what sort of game that you're playing Mm -hmm. like you know there was the time where in the game that we play together my character's like best friend slash not exactly love interest got straight up murdered and when i found her corpse it was just like oh Haha, <laughs> Jess is feeling serious grief right now. That's fun. Yeah. I've had situations where I have had a panic attack because my character was trapped in an old tomb. Ah. I was standing in the middle of a big open room. Yeah. There was no tomb. Yep. It was literally a two chairs standing next to each other and the GM going, this is a tomb. I was in a hall. Like, it was... I was not actually in an enclosed space. And I'm not claustrophobic. <laughs> I, I don't mean I don't mean to laugh. No, but... but that but is funny. It is a little funny, and that's fair. But it was, like, a thing where I was, like, GM. I... My character is in there. Mm-hmm. That's fine. I need to go somewhere else. Yeah. And be away from embodying this right now because I can't handle it. You had to take a moment. I had to take a moment, which, again, you know, safety tools. Being able to say, open door, you can leave, you can come back, Mm -hmm. you can pause, you can take a breath. There's time to come down uh, is really important. And the more you dig into truly sort of resonant storytelling in games, I think the more important it becomes. Yeah. So, hey, this was a bit of a meandering episode, but we're out of time, and I liked it anyway. <laughs> I did. I want to do this more, for sure. I, this is definitely not the only episode that we're going to have on story games, because I know Elle wants to talk about it as well. Yep. Uh, and I would love to have both of you on at the same time, because three people episodes have a completely different dynamic, and that's super fun. But, for now, would you like to plug anything before we leave? It doesn't uh, have to be your own thing. If there's just a cool thing you want to show off. Not that I can think of right now. I am um, going to be writing some articles uh, that I don't have located anywhere right now. But if you follow me on Twitter, at Rig, that's just at R-I-G. Really easy to remember anything that I create for or about games will be 
will be posted on that Twitter feed. And that's the easiest way to know anything that I do. Um, you are also followed by and interact with often uh, the show's Twitter at yeah. Podcast Dodeca. Podcast Dodeca, who I am told is very handsome. Oh, oh, well. I'll have to pass that along to our uh, our, our little Twitter minder. Our social media manager. My, my social media manager. Because <laughs> that's a, that's a thing. Anyway, uh, if you have any ideas or stories about story games or topics that you want us to talk about, you can send those right in to dodecapodcast at gmail.com or, you know, hit me up on Twitter at podcast dodeca. Uh, you can listen to the show if you're, you know, wanting to share it and listening to it because I shared it on Facebook or something. You can find us at dodecapodcast.com or on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Podcasts, and I don't remember if we're on Stitcher yet, but I'm working on that one. And yeah, that's the show. So? So? From all of us here at Dodecahedron, thank you for listening. And we look forward to seeing you on our next adventure.